Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here of Renovation Church. Uh, good morning to you. Hey, as Rachel said, we are getting so excited for our first ever Christmas in this building. I loved when we did a Christmas in an elementary school gym, uh, but it's going to be even more amazing uh, in this space. I want you to be there, and I want you to not only be there, I want you to bring someone with you who can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, there are people in this room right now who two years ago, or three years ago, or four years ago, became a Christian at one of our Christmas services because their friend boldly invited them and said, hey, I think you should check out a Christmas service at Renovation Church. And so I want you to take a risk for Jesus Christ. Maybe your family's getting together on one of these days or like Christmas Eve. Just say, hey, listen up, guys, a new, new Christmas tradition. Everybody get in the van. We're gonna check out that new Renovation Church building in Blaine. We're going to a Christmas service. And let's just watch God do amazing things. On your way out today, they're gonna hand you a couple invite cards to invite people as well to make it easy for you. But I want you to trust God in this. In fact, I wanna stop right now and I want us to just pray. And I'm going to ask that the Lord do a small miracle here and just put a name on your mind or on your heart of someone that you could just bring with you, someone who needs Jesus in a couple of weeks. They need him now. And maybe the Lord puts someone on your, on your mind right now, or maybe it's when you're driving home or tomorrow, but I just want to see the Lord move. And so let me just pray. Lord, <clears throat> we just ask for that, that little miracle, that for the people in this room, that you would put a name, a specific name on their mind on their heart, Uh, maybe it's their friend or their neighbor or a family member, a dentist, a chiropractor, whoever it is, God, who just put names on our minds and give us the boldness to just trust in you this season. your name we pray, amen. Hey, one more thing before we uh, jump into our Bible passage this morning. I want to tell you something about this church, uh, especially because so, so, so many of you are, are new, uh, even this fall. I'm going to, to better describe this church, I'm going to invent a word here, so bear with me. But this church is what I would call a deep evangelistic church. All right, you can send me an email later and encourage me on my uh, word creation. Uh, <laughs> deep evangelistic, and let me explain that because... I'm going to put on a teeter-totter where churches in America are right now. So we have a lot of teachers. If you imagine a teeter-totter, right, it's, it's always easy to go to one side. It's hard to balance in the middle. So there are a lot of churches in America that are on this far end of the spectrum or the teeter-totter where they're very evangelistic. And they see many, many people come to Christ, often every week. And that's amazing. But often in the intense pursuit of that, they avoid the hard teachings of Scripture because you don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable in the room. And so you just get snippets of the Bible. And on the other end of the teeter-totter, and this is actually where the majority of churches are in America, if you looked at every single church, not just the famous ones, you would find churches that, yeah, they teach through the Bible, they cover the hard sayings of Jesus, but it's been probably years since they've seen a new person come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we see ourselves as trying to balance on that fulcrum in the middle, which is really difficult, but in this pursuit of being deep evangelistic. And that, yes, we are really, really passionate about making disciples for Jesus, about helping people hear the gospel and get saved. And we see people make a commitment to Christ almost every single week in this space. But also, we're really passionate about teaching through God's word. And there will be times, and I'm just going to give you a caution right now, today is probably one of them, as when you hear the teaching of God's word from the scriptures, and you hear God's call on your life, you might even feel uncomfortable in your seat here. Like, whoa, that's a, 
That's a, that's a big God. That's a big call on my life. But I would also tell you that that's okay. You know, one of my uh, heroes in preaching is uh, Timothy Keller, and one of the things that he teaches a lot in his teaching is that if, if the God that we say we worship never challenges us, then that's not the real God. Because, see, the real God is not identical to any one culture on earth. And the real God intersects with every culture at sort of painful spots. Spots where it may even feel our lifestyle or our choices or how we live may even feel really normative to the culture around us, but it intersects with it. God's truth does. And sometimes that spot can be uncomfortable, but we want to know God's truth, right? We want to live in that. Okay. Thanks for letting me preface twice. Okay, let's jump into the Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there are Bibles in front of you on every chair. We want you to grab something because we want you to look at the Word. We are on page 721 this morning. After six weeks on page 720, we made it to page 721. So don't let anyone ever tell you that there's nothing relevant uh, or deep in the Scriptures. We just spent six weeks on a page. Okay. We are studying the book of Luke as a church in just kind of chunks. We're going through it verse by verse. Luke is one of four books in the Bible about the life, the teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So kind of in this mini-series here on Luke, we spent six weeks really studying what happened on the night before Jesus was crucified. That was a Thursday night. And for a few weeks, we studied the conversation between Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. And one of the things we saw that Jesus said was he told Peter, one of his disciples, that before the rooster crows, that Peter would deny him three times. And then we spent two weeks out in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed, and then he was arrested. And now, as Jesus is captured and taken away, most scholars believe that the clock has now ticked past midnight, and we are in the wee hours of that Good Friday, that Friday where Jesus is going to be crucified. So let's take a look at our passage. We're still in chapter 22. We're now in verse 54, so look for that uh, verse 54. I think it's right at the top of the page, isn't it, if I remember? Somebody, thank you for your very Minnesotan nods. Thank you. Okay. 54, then seizing him, says Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked. So Jesus is in his trial, right? And Peter's out in the courtyard. He turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Okay, so Jesus is taken to the house of the high priest. Caiaphas, uh, for one of his many false trials he's going to endure. In fact, if you study all the Gospels together, Jesus is going to endure six false, quick trials before his crucifixion begins at 9 a.m. on that Friday morning. And while Jesus is in the house of the high priest, Peter, 
who's been following at a distance. Did you see that phrase? It's in verse 54, if you look at it. It's just a really fascinating phrase. He's following at a distance, sits down outside of the trial in the courtyard. But it turns out that distance isn't even safe enough because other people see him there and they start questioning him. And Peter denies Jesus three times, kind of in three different ways. Like, for one, he firstly denies that he even knows Jesus, right? And then secondly, he denies that he's a follower of Jesus. They say, oh, he's one of them. And then thirdly, this sounds like the most intense, he denies that he's even from the same region as Jesus, from Galilee. Now, before we kind of roll our eyes or laugh or condemn Peter, there's a couple things we got to factor in. I mean, for one, to Peter's credit, he's still technically following Jesus. Well, think of all 12 of the disciples. Uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus. Nine of the disciples completely fled. Like, they are gonzo, if that's a word, right? We are not going to hear from them for a couple of days. It's only Peter and also, <clears throat> excuse me, the disciple John, who you can read about in the Gospel of John, that have followed to this courtyard. Peter, though, is following at a distance, And I just think that phrase is really interesting for us. How often do we follow Jesus at a distance? It's like we haven't left him. We do still love him. But when we fear that our association with Jesus might cost us something, we follow at a distance. Because this is is the point, right? This is precisely where Peter is kind of going to jump off the ship. When you study the whole book of Luke, you see that Peter tends to be the guy that's like jumping in first. But now it's like we've hit this point in the story where it's become kind of apparent to everyone that it looks like it's over, right? Jesus isn't like the popular one that the crowds are going to anymore. He's going to be executed within hours, really. And Peter is pretty afraid that he's going to be next. And so it's at this point that Peter's self-preservation kicks in, and he determines that the cost of following Jesus has become too high. And that's really the main point of the text of our passage for today. It's that we, as followers of Jesus today, that we, in our own lives, we start to follow Jesus at a distance, kind of disassociate ourselves from him a little bit, when we feel like it will cost us something to follow him. Now, let me give you a couple examples of this. So uh, I think of a guy who was in my house group. We love house groups here. I love house groups. A, a guy that was in my house group who was an incredible evangelist. We actually sent him off to uh, one of our church plants that we started. And was always sharing his faith at work with people, inviting people to church and, and so on and so forth. But one day, his boss pulled him aside. And he said, hey, love you, man, but people are starting to get uncomfortable. And so you just you got to stop like inviting people to church and stuff. You just, you need to stop. Now, this guy's incredible, so he didn't. But how many of us would have? Like, play through that real scenario in your mind. So let's say next week, your boss pulls you aside and they say, I saw you hand out that renovation church invite to Christmas, and you can't do that here. you got to stop. How many of us would stop? I think a lot of us, we decide in those moments that we'll just, yes, we still love Jesus, but we're going to back off a few steps. And we're going to be a follower of Jesus at a distance. 
All right, let me give you another scenario. Okay, let's say uh, you're at your Christmas family gathering uh, two weeks from now, right? You're just trying to enjoy some Christmas ham and some figgy pudding, right? Uh, which, anyone actually eaten figgy pudding? No, anyone? There's got to be somebody in this room. Seriously. Oh, right there? <laughs> yes! <laughs> let's just hear it for a moment. Right. Okay, I have no idea what it is. I presume figs are involved. Um, okay, you, that's not, this is not the point of the illustration. I got sidetracked. You're eating, right? And one of your relatives pipes up and they say, you know what? You know what I can't believe? I can't believe people who actually still believe in the Bible. And they do that Jesus stuff. I mean, it's just all so outdated when it comes to morality and sex. and all. It's just like, who does that anymore? If you're there in that moment, do you speak up? on behalf of your savior or do you just take another bite of your figgy pudding and sort of just resign yourself that you're going to follow Jesus but at a distance and I think that's where a lot of us really are as American Christians we do, we follow Jesus but we stop if it would cost us something and I think this is at least one of the major reasons of why we don't have enough passionate Christ followers in this country. We do, we want it. It's like we want to be serious about God. We want to be serious about coming to church every week and reading our Bibles every day and falling in love with Jesus and fighting against sin in our lives. But it's America, right? And there are things to do. And there are soccer tournaments to get to. And there are uh, work shifts we can't pass up. And there are cabins to spend the summer weekends at. And it's like, also, if we were going to get really serious about holiness, like the New Testament talks about, then, yeah, then we might have to end some of the relationships or friendships maybe that we're in or stop, you know, like season three of that show that you're just binging and you just, it's really, really good, right? You might not be able to finish it, right? Or the music that we listen to. And I feel like this is us. Like, this is America. I mean, do you see it? You see the reason why so many of us, we have this relational distance between us and Jesus. Now, I, I'm not talking like a, a theologically here or positionally. I just mean like relationship. I mean the feel of it. It's like I, I, we feel like we're close to Jesus, but we're, at the same time, it's like we're not. And for a lot of us, the primary reason is because like Peter, we love Jesus but we do not want our association with Jesus to cost us anything. I mean, think about it. If you read, you, you read through the whole book of Luke, one of the things that will jump out to you is that Jesus wants you to put him absolutely first in your life. You can't read the book of Luke and not come to that conclusion. But I think this is, this is, it. this is where the call of Jesus, like I said at the very beginning, painfully intersects with our modern American culture. Because we're so busy, we have so many things going on, and we want to live life a certain way, the call of Jesus comes, and it hits our modern American culture, and it kind of hurts. And so let me give you some examples of this. So if you had to tell, say, your kid's hockey coach, you had to say, sorry, uh, Johnny is not going to be there for the tournament game on Sunday. Because for us, this life is really, really, really short. 
And our main objective is to glorify God, is to live for him, is to come and worship him, is to learn everything we can about him and grow in him. And we orient our whole life around that, and then we fit in the other pieces. Now, not that you would say it in that sort of long form, but even if you just said it in short form, if you said that today to a coach, that would cost you something, right? Can you feel that? It would cost your kid something. Or if you had to tell your boss, sorry, I can't take shifts anymore on Tuesday night because that's when my house group is now. And those people, they are my people. They are the people that hold me up spiritually. That's how I grow. And and the, the dividends that that pays in my life are incredible. So I put that first and everything else comes around that. If you have to say that, there is a cost to it. And so the truth is, as Americans, most of us, we never say those things, right? Because we don't want to experience a cost of following Jesus. We want to follow Jesus, but we don't want any cost with it. And so we end up following at a distance. Let me give you a totally different example. A number of times in the past year, I told you you were going to feel uncomfortable, so you knew it at the beginning, okay? A number of times uh, in, the, in the past year, I've had this conversation with people They'll come up to me and they'll say, and sometimes we get together and we'll have a meeting, and they'll say, Pastor David, what does the Bible actually teach about sex before marriage or of living together before marriage? And I say, I'll tell you, let's walk, let's walk to the scriptures. But one of the things that I'll say to people is sometimes I'll say, but what if it says what you don't want to hear? Will you still put God first? Because to do so, to put God first, in this case, might be wildly inconvenient for you. Like that association with Jesus might really cost you physically, socially, even financially. And I would tell you, as a pastor, I probably had this conversation 15 times over the years. And probably eight out of 10 times, people look at me and they say, no. I will not follow Jesus in that. That is too hard. And it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart every time. Because yes, following Jesus, it comes with a cost. I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, it's really easy to follow Jesus nowadays in America. It's not. It comes with a cost. But his ways, this is what I wish I, everyone could, we could just see it. And I lose it myself sometimes. I wish we could just see it. His ways are so good. So good. Hard? Yes. Good? You bet. It's so much better than the world. But we cannot teach a Jesus who just says, you know, it's really easy to follow me. It's quite convenient and fit me in wherever you want because this is not the Jesus that you read about in the scriptures. Let's go back a few chapters. Luke chapter 14. I'll throw it on the screen for you. This is the call of Jesus. Read this. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It might be an admirer, but not a disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross, and he says it a lot in the scriptures, it's like a denial of yourself and what's easy for you and what you want to pursue and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, real quick, Jesus doesn't actually want you to hate your mom. Okay, Uh, contextually here, he's just making a really strong point 
that if you're actually gonna be his disciple, not just like, I think he's cool and I'll fit him in where I want to, if you're gonna be his disciple, his follower, he has to be first. You put him first and everything else orients around that. Your schedule, your time, your choices, your behavior, everything that we do is around that. He says, even your own life. And for a lot of us, I think we don't do it because we don't truly understand who he is. It's like, if you could truly see Jesus, the majesty, the power, the glory, the love, and the forgiveness, if you could get a glimpse of the Son of God, even like in actuality, even for three seconds, there's no way that any of us would ever put Jesus second or third or fourth. And God wants to be first in your life, even if it costs you everything. God is wondering, are there men in this room? Are there women in this room? Are there teenagers in this room who will put God first even if it costs them everything? Are you here? Where you have to say, I, I, God, I give you 100% of my life. Now I'm going to fail 10,000 times in doing that because I'm human. But I give you all of my life. Are there people like that in here? Because if there are, then we're going to light this city on fire for Christ. But if there are not, then we're just going to be stuck in this American apathy of Christianity where we only fit Jesus in when it's convenient. One of the reasons I want you to give all of your life to Jesus is because if you do, you get to experience the amazing things that God will do through you that so many of us are not experiencing right now because we just want to follow at a distance. And the other reason I want you to do it is because following Jesus at a distance is a miserable place to be. And most of you, you, you we kind of feel that in your faith. When I, I, I say all the time, walking with Jesus is a roller coaster. It is highs and lows. And when I'm in the lows and I feel like I'm just following Jesus at a distance right now, I'm not passionate about it because I just, I don't know, I got into the season of apathy. That's a miserable place to be. And you know why? It's miserable because you can't really enjoy the world out there because you're like, well, I still follow Jesus. And you can't really enjoy Jesus because you're like, well, I'm not really following Jesus. Life is too short to sit in the middle. Give your life fully to Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Let's look back to the words. So look at verse 60. It says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. Can you even imagine? And it's a look not just of, you know, we, t- we tend to think like, oh, he, there, that's a, con- con- a look of condemnation. Remember, we studied this already. Peter has said, I will pray for you. Or Jesus has said, I will pray for you, Peter. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. But that doesn't mean that that, that moment didn't hurt Jesus. You know, while Jesus is suffering for Peter in his sins, Peter himself sins to avoid suffering. And so what does Peter do? He hears the rooster crow. Jesus' eyes lock on him. Because this is key. This is so key. When your heart is convicted of that distance that we've let creep in or the lukewarmness that we've let in our lives, and you're going to have it. You're going to have this moment. Even if, you, even if we kind of write the ship today, you might have this moment again two years from now. We just, it's life, okay? But when you have that moment, what do you do? Okay, let's keep reading. End of 61. 
Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. What does Peter do? And he went outside and wept bitterly. You want to know the answer? To walking closer with Jesus again. To begin to close the relational gap that so many of us feel. It starts with tears. With tears of repentance. With tears to say, Lord, I don't, I don't know how I even let it get here, but it's here, and I just, I need you again, and I'm so sorry, and I, I, I need your forgiveness, I just, I need you. Like what Peter does with this moment, with that feeling that he feels, is going to determine much of the rest of his life. In fact, what I want to do here is I want to give you, rather quickly, but I want to give you three incorrect responses that most of us have when we are in that moment when you feel the Lord saying, come back to me. Give me more of you. I'm going to give you three incorrect responses that most of us do, and then one right biblical one. So here they are. Here's the first one. So when you see the distance between us and Christ, what we do with it has massive ramifications, what you do in that moment. So number one, if we ignore it, we're still at a distance, right? This is probably the most obvious of it, but if Peter just goes, all right, it is what it is, and does nothing, he's still at a distance. I think one of the most important scriptures is the one I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 3. It's from the Old Testament, and it's quoted in the New Testament, so it's that important. It says this, Hebrews 3. Today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So this is really important. When you have those moments in your life, and it may be while you're sitting in church, maybe while you're listening to a worship song, you could just be out on a walk somewhere, and you hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in your heart say, come back to me. Give me all of you. When you hear the whisper of God and you go, when that happens, and it does happen to us sometimes, our spiritual heart, it's actually hardening. So that when the whisper comes the next time, it's harder to hear. So when it comes in your life, do not harden your hearts. Say, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Okay, number two, here's the second wrong thing that we do. If we just try harder, we're still at a distance. So this is like you skip over the tears. And it would be like if Peter said, oh, man, how did I... How did I do that again? You know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up even earlier. I'm going to pray even harder. You know who's going to be the best disciple? I'm going to be the best disciple. I'm going to work harder than Thaddeus, harder than, I'm going to get my, le- okay, I, if you do that, you're still at a distance because biblically, that's not how we change. Now, this is where I fall. I think all of us kind of fall somewhere in these first three camps of apathy, or this is like, I'll fix it myself, probably pride. I'm a driven person, so when I mess up in my sin, I'm just liable to fall here. Like, you know who's going to fix this? David's going to fix this. right? Rather than looking to God, rather than stopping and weeping over my sins and coming to him, I just start with, I'll just try harder. That's how I'll fix it. It doesn't work either. The relational distance will still be there if that's the route you pursue. Okay, here's the third one, and this is a dangerous one. If we drown ourselves in shame, we're still at a distance. Some go to apathy, some go to pride. Others of us, we go to shame. Right? You feel the distance. Some of you have been doing this during this message. Like, here I am again. 
I'm still stuck. I've, my faith has just been kind of, uh, for two years now, and I'm never going to get it right, and I just, I want you to hear me. That's not of God. That's the path that the devil led Judas down. That's not the path that Peter took back to Christ. Okay, so one of the things that's really key to understanding the path of walking with Christ in kind of the last half, last portions of the Gospels here is the contrast between Peter and Judas. So look, let's look closely now at the story of Judas from Matthew 27. Look at this. It says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Because Judas didn't think they were actually going to kill Jesus. And returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. So look at this. And look at the parallels to Peter. Judas feels terrible. He weeps over his sin. He even calls it sin. He says, I have sinned. But it's what they do afterwards that makes all the difference. Because instead of going to Jesus, Judas just goes deeper and deeper into his own head. And into shame. And he takes his life. And so this is a key question that you have to parse out in your brain. When I feel that gap and I feel like I'm just not following Jesus like I used to, where are you going? Is it just playing in your head? Or are you going somewhere else? Because yes, when we come back to Jesus, first, we always, we weep, right? We need to. I, I think that's a problem in this country. We don't take sin seriously enough, right? Jesus is suffering for us, and so many of us don't want to suffer at all for him. We should weep over that. But secondly, you cannot stay there. You can't. It is dangerous to stay there, to say, how could I? What would I? No, you take it to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you one of my favorite verbs in all of the Gospels. When Peter hears from the women who went to the tomb a couple days later that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has resurrected, it says, and then Peter ran to the tomb. He takes off running just at the chance that he could see Jesus again and feel his arms around him and his embrace and his forgiveness. He runs to Jesus with his sin. And if you want this week, read the end of the Gospel of John and you'll see that Peter is forgiven. He's even reinstated into leadership and God uses him to help transform the world. Right? And so this is the biblical path. When you feel the tension of like, I'm just, there's a distance between me and Jesus. It's number four. If we weep over our sins... And then run to Jesus. Not stay stuck in our heads. Run to Jesus. His forgiveness will wash over us and close that relational gap that we feel. Right? This is the path. This is the direction of the Christian that you want to walk. You can't ignore it. You can't be lost in pride. You can't be lost in shame. We weep and we run to Jesus. We bring it to the cross where he takes it and he nails it to the cross. It is over. It is finished. For some of you are going, yeah, but I just, <laughs> I messed up. I'm like in such a bad place. You know, one of the things that really comforts me when I think about my sin is in this chapter, Jesus says to Peter beforehand, he's like, I already know this is going to happen. But when you turn back, 
In other words, we're, I knew, and I'm still going to the cross. And he says the same thing you, to you today. When I went to the cross, I knew. I already knew about what's happening in your life right now, but I went. That is my love for you. And that is the crazy forgiveness that we can experience in Jesus. It's not easy to follow him. That call is ginormous. But we do it because his forgiveness is just as ginormous. And so I want to encourage you, every single person in this room, to kind of do something unique this morning. In just a second here, we're going to sing a final song. And I want you to have a serious talk with the Lord. See, my prayer when you come to church is not that you just come to church to come to church or to sing some songs or even just to learn a couple things. I hope that you come to church to encounter the living God. And so what I want you to do is I want you to actually pray to him. And in fact, I want you to write your prayer to him this morning. So would everybody look under the chair in front of you? I want 100% of you to do this. There's a little cardstock, white sheet of paper, and a pen. Would, you, would everybody just grab that just for a second? And what I want you to do over this last song, even if you've never done anything like this before, I want you to write your prayers to God. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just talk to him like you would talk to a best friend. And just talk about what we've been talking about. Where, where is the distance? Why is it there? Where aren't you putting him first just because it would be hard? What do you need to weep over? Where do you need to just accept his forgiveness? You, you write for as long as you need to. If you need to stand up in the middle of a song and just praise him, then you do that. If you need to fall to your knees in repentance, then you do that. If you need to even just stay after the service ends to keep writing, we'll give you space to do that. But receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Don't say, I don't know. I could. Jesus saw Peter deny him. And yet he loves him and forgives him and he uses him to change the world. So receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ this morning, all right? Okay, let me pray. Lord, thank you that you love us even when we really, really mess up. Yeah, even when we take parts of our lives and we say, you can't touch that part. Somehow there's grace in that. And yet, God, we pray that we would be a people that would give all of our lives to you. That we would trust you even if it's going to cost us, even if it is hard. And use us, Lord, to change not only this city, but to this world, this world for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.